is Tom Wilmoth with The Vinyl Approach. I was sorry to see Harry Belafonte go. It's not like he was on my active radar, and when the news came of his passing at age 96, I couldn't say I was surprised, but I was sorry all the same. Harry Belafonte always seemed to me to be a mix of Mitch Miller and Pete Seeger. He could bring people together through song, as could Mitch, and his performances were often injected with political thought, something Seeger usually did. And like Pete Seeger, Harry Belafonte paid the career price for his views. My purpose today is not to give a biography of the man, but to point out two of his musical accomplishments, statistics that are almost unbelievable. In 1956, Harry Belafonte released an album called Calypso. It became the first long-playing record album to sell over a million copies. I look at that stat and think, can that be right? 1956? That's the year of Elvis, the biggest year in the king's life, in fact. Didn't Elvis easily beat Belafonte's sales numbers? But we look again. RCA Victor released Harry Belafonte's Calypso in May 1956. The debut album for Elvis Presley was released in March, even giving Elvis an eight-week head start. But as popular as Presley was in 1956, his fans bought more singles than albums. Belafonte's audience consisted of adults. They were already accustomed to albums, with Calypso being Belafonte's third in this format. Of the 11 Elvis singles released in 1956, four sold over a million copies. But his album did not immediately generate sales that could match his own singles. Nothing could. Elvis's debut album was beaten to the one million mark by Belafonte's Calypso. In the long run, of course, Elvis's lifetime sales numbers would dwarf Belafonte's. Sorry, Harry. No matter, with both artists signed to the same record label, the real winner in 1956 was RCA. Belafonte's Calypso stayed on the Billboard album chart for three years. Perhaps because of this, RCA was willing to try an experimental recording with their artist, a live album. It would be recorded at Carnegie Hall, on the spot, as the cover proclaims. A lavish two-record set, it was recorded during a pair of 1959 concerts. Live albums were not completely new at this time. Jazz artists like Dave Brubeck and Duke Ellington and folk icons The Weavers had all issued such recordings. But a live release had not yet become an expected and even mandatory part of an artist's repertoire. When hearing it today, something I recommend, the Belafonte at Carnegie Hall album plays like a collection of songs you've lived with since birth. Shenandoah, Cotton Fields, John Henry, and All My Trials are included in the program. The next generation of folk musicians would raid the album for these songs and others, like Man Smart, Woman Smarter. Naturally, the concert featured material from Belafonte's Calypso album, like Banana Boat Song or Day-O. But this live record has also been credited with cementing the rhythmic away into the national consciousness, as well as Jave Nagila. This song became so universally known in the early 60s folk revival that a young Bob Dylan wrote a parody called Talkin' Hava Nagila Blues. And I have wondered if it is Belafonte's rendition of Shenandoah that stuck in Bob's mind when Dylan recorded the song decades later. Speaking of Bob, he leads us to something else I find noteworthy about Harry Belafonte. A young and unknown Bob Dylan plays on the title song of Belafonte's 1962 album, The Midnight Special. It's said that before the date, Dylan was excited about the opportunity to record with the great Harry Belafonte, but once in the studio, his enthusiasm soured. Belafonte was a perfectionist, recording take after take of a song until he was satisfied. This did not suit Bob. 
Both Dylan's friend Eve McKenzie and biographer Anthony Scaduto confirmed that Dylan was annoyed by Belafonte's repeated rehearsals and numerous takes. Dylan told McKenzie that he quit after one song. He just left. It's thought that Belafonte did more takes of the song Midnight Special after Bob took off, but ultimately used a version that did include Dylan. It's not known if Bob had been scheduled to perform on any more songs on the record, but other than the title track, there is no harmonica on that album. In 2019, Belafonte spoke briefly about the Midnight Special album during an interview for the Library of Congress. Belafonte said that he always used his own musicians on recording sessions to make sure he got what he wanted. He said that the only time this didn't happen was when he wanted to use blues man Brownie McGee on a date, but McGee was busy. Belafonte's accompanist Millard Thomas suggested they use a guy he had heard in the village who Thomas thought could play the part. That guy was Bob Dylan. Asked in the 2019 interview if the then-unknown Dylan was a good harmonica player, Belafonte laughed and said, Good enough for me. He doesn't mention Bob's departure from the session or anything else about it, and the interview returns to its primary topic, Belafonte's Calypso album. I found that Midnight Special album several years ago at a used bookstore in St. Paul. It's a good record in its own right, and a worthwhile Bob curiosity to have on my Dylan shelf. Or shelves, I guess I should say. The other thing worth mentioning about this Harry Belafonte date is that it was long believed to be Dylan's first professional recording session. It's not, but the confusion is understandable. In September 1961, Dylan played harmonica behind folk musician Carolyn Hester. This Hester recording session was produced by John Hammond, who took an interest in Dylan, ultimately signing him to a contract with Columbia Records. Dylan recorded his own debut album in November 1961. Recently unearthed RCA logs list the date of Belafonte's recording session with Bob as February 2nd, 1962. We see then that September 1961 was Bob's first time in the studio with Carolyn Hester. The confusion came because Belafonte's Midnight Special album was released in April 1962 before Hester's album, which came out in May. Dylan's own eponymous album was issued in March. Appearances by Bob on albums released in March, April, and May. It would appear that the market was glutted with Bob Dylan recordings in early 1962. Nobody noticed. Both the Hester album and Dylan's own debut sold poorly, and people interested in Harry Belafonte rarely cared about the singers accompanying musicians. In 1962, Dylan was still a struggling unknown on the national scene, but his day would soon come. Bob's second album, Freewheelin', was released in May 1963. His life and the folk music world would be forever altered. This edition of The Vinyl Approach was ostensibly about the great Harry Belafonte, but I see that Bob Dylan has commandeered it with some help from Elvis. Well, these things happen. I hope Harry will understand, but let's make it up to him by closing with an anecdote that Belafonte himself relates in that 2019 interview. In 1955, Belafonte told his label bosses he wanted to record an album of calypso music. The RCA executives refused. Stick to folk music, they told him. You will confuse and lose your audience, they said. Your previous album went to number one. Do another folk record like that. Belafonte persisted with the calypso idea until a higher-up at RCA gave the order to let the artist do what he wanted. As we see, this was a good move, both for Belafonte and for RCA the first million-selling album, and three years on the chart, all because a record executive let the artist choose his own path. This reminds me of Willie Nelson when he submitted the tape for the first album on his new Columbia Records contract. The studio heads hated it. Sounds like a demo. Needs strings added to it, they said. Nope, Willie told them. This is the completed record. 
Columbia wouldn't budge until Willie pointed to a clause in his contract that gave him complete control. They had to release what he gave them. But Willie said to them, you put out this record as is, and if it doesn't sell, you can tear up my contract. That's faith, or commitment, or something. The album was released the way Nelson wanted, and Red-Headed Stranger not only made Willie Nelson a superstar, it started a whole new movement in country music, arguably several movements, just as Belafonte's album launched a calypso music craze in America 20 years earlier. What do we learn from this? Trust the artist. And I see that it's Willie Nelson who has hijacked this Harry Belafonte story, so maybe it's time to close today's edition of The Vinyl Approach. This is Tom Wilmoth. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. If you want to read some of my thoughts on music, I have a book called Sound Bites, A Lifetime of Listening. It's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm.